Ronaldo is ready. Strikes. The first leg of the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals have now concluded. And of course, both Phil Kaidel and Russ Joy managed to go perfect in their predictions. As a matter of fact, they were so perfect, I don't know why you'd listen to any other show. Of course, this is Crossing Broad FC, the only Philadelphia-based international football podcast. I'm Russ. Find me on Twitter, at Joy on Broad. I'm joined, as always, by the oracle of international football knowledge. And that is one Phil Kaidel, who you can find on Twitter, at Phil Kaidel. That's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. Philip. I was, half, I was half a disappointment. Thank you, Russell. Uh, I was half a disappointment with some of these picks. Some of them came through. Uh, we didn't pick score lines, obviously. Um, but I will say this. It was a very entertaining first round of the Champions League. And all of these ties are still alive. Uh, you know, a lot of times in these situations, somebody gets out to a three, four goal lead and, and you know there's almost no point in playing the second leg. That is not what's happening uh, in this quarterfinal so far. Before we get into the uh, to the Champions League, why don't we knock out a couple of the domestic leagues? Maybe we'll do a little mix up, a little little mix and change. I love um, it. Let's start off with the with the Prem really quick. We'll uh, we'll hit the EPL. Let's go EPL and La Liga, and we'll see about when we want to do Bundesliga. But um, let's let's go the Prem to start. Um, standout game over the weekend. Something that that you really want to talk about. Actually, Liverpool was pretty shaky uh, for a long spell in their match at Southampton. They looked nervous, and they looked like a team that realizes that if they don't win every match the rest of the way, that they're probably not going to be able to keep up with Manchester City. And I hate to say it, uh, and I think most Liverpool supporters would agree, uh, this Premier League title means an awful lot more to Liverpool and its supporters than it does to City, City having won three of them in the last seven or eight years. Um, So yeah, they are going to have matches like this, especially away from Anfield, where if the goals aren't flying in early, uh, they're going to get tight. And that's what happened in this match, but their quality really did prove too much, and they were too strong. They won 3-1, to one, uh, and they took their lead back. So City still has a game in hand, and it's going to be this ping-ponging thing going on uh, between Liverpool and City all the way through to the end. Uh, the theory I have on this is that the next one of these teams to drop points is the one that's going to lose the league. Uh, because the way the the points are set up and the way the matches are going to play out, um, I just don't see a situation where if one of them were to flat out lose, that they could withstand it. Uh, And it's interesting because Chelsea uh, visits Anfield this weekend. Well, speaking of Chelsea, uh, you know, let's let's get this one out of the way. The the international community, I think, was kind of outraged and and probably rightfully so. Um, For those who, who might have missed it, there were three fans from Chelsea... Uh, three Chelsea supporters who I guess were at a bar outside of the uh, Slavia Prague um, arena uh, ahead of the uh, Europa League uh, tie that that they were about to enter. And uh, three fans presumably filmed themselves doing a chant, uh, essentially calling Mohamed Salah a bomber. And that went all over social media. And it led to not only Liverpool, of course, condemning... um, you know, condemning those fans, but it was also Chelsea barred those fans from attending games, which, you know, I, I think should happen. And I think we've talked about in the past about just like, you know, racist chants, um, especially against uh, players of African descent, like what a big deal that's been. And you look at this and, and there's no place for it. 
it is nice to see that these guys were identified and that there are, you know, serious consequences, you know, at least within the soccer community where, you know, they're, they're barred from attending matches. So, so good. This is the same fan base, Chelsea, uh, that blistered Raheem Sterling with racial abuse back in December. Uh, Chelsea suspended some folks from attending matches while an investigation went on. I'm not sure if those fans' uh, passes were revoked, even if they were season ticket holders. I'm not really sure. The bottom line is uh, it's not a good look for Chelsea Football Club. I'm not here to say that their entire fan base is racist or abusive, but at some level, this stuff keeps happening with them. And you have to, if you're Chelsea, take a pretty hard look at the people who are supporting your club and the way you deal with these sorts of incidents. I agree. All right, so let's let's uh, get back to I guess you know Chelsea's match uh, over the weekend. Um, they they got a, a two nil win over West Ham um, and and jumped over both Arsenal and Tottenham for third. Uh, love Tottenham, big big Tottenham fam, and everybody knows that I am a a massive believer in Tottenham, which we'll get to a little bit when we get to the Champions League, but. Uh, you know, Chelsea managing to uh, to put together a, a solid run here towards the end as, as they're jockeying for position. You have to beat the teams that you should beat. West Ham is one of those teams, and, you know, good on them for getting it done. Um, the only thing that, you know, is going against Chelsea at this point is that Arsenal and Tottenham both have a, a game in hand. So, I mean, that is obviously going to have some kind of a, a ramification going forward. So it's it's not like you can just look at the points and everything's even. It's It's not in this case. I mean, it's good. You need to pick up those points, but... They have played one more game than than both of those other two teams. Well, Chelsea have won three in a row. Uh, if they can get some kind of result at Anfield, which is obviously a big ask, uh, that'll certainly help. Uh, this was the only pick I got right in my picks column this week. Chelsea winning two oh. nil against West Ham, uh, not two to nil, but rather winning to nil, meaning any win where West Ham didn't score, uh, paid it six to five. You can't trust West Ham at all. They are schizophrenic. They are unpredictable. Uh, they have some talent. Um, Pellegrini's not a bad manager, but look, they're West Ham. They're perpetually mid-table, and I felt pretty confident that Chelsea, on the recent run that they've been on, uh, would be able to essentially blunt anything that West Ham wanted to do, and that's exactly what happened in this match. Uh, the second goal came very, very late, but Chelsea were never in any real trouble in that match. Uh, looking at the table going into uh, um, this week's matches, You've got Chelsea sitting on 66 points in third. Again, they have played one more game than Tottenham and Arsenal, but they're a full three points clear of Arsenal, so even worst-case scenario. Depending on goal differential, I believe it's it's not even that close. Um, if Chelsea were to, uh, for example, I don't know, drop their next result, um, Arsenal picks up a victory. I mean, I think then we start to look at Arsenal jumping back up into that 3-4 conversation, but... Um, right now that, that three through six is a very, very tight race. I mean, you've got Chelsea on 66, Tottenham on 64, Arsenal at 63, United at 61. It really is. It's a four horse race for those last two prems or those last two champions league spots. And, uh, you know, of course, nobody wants to have to be the one to miss out and go to the Europa league, but imagine being one of these teams and not only not qualifying for champions, but then also missing Europa league and knowing that, you are only what, maybe two points out. In the case of United right now, they're two points out of that Europa League spot, three points out of fourth place in the league. So it's going to be an interesting race to the finish. Of those four teams you mentioned, uh, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, and United, actually Arsenal and Chelsea have the best uh, form in those four teams in their last five in the league with three wins 
uh, a draw and a loss. The challenge, though, is that Arsenal had been clipping along pretty well, and then they went to Goodison Park and got shut out. And all the old questions about Arsenal and whether they have the nerve to deliver on what they hope will be another Champions League place-securing season, uh, they're all back in play. Now, that being said, Arsenal did their business midweek in Europa League, so maybe that was just a blip. Goodison's a tough place to play. Everton's ninth in the league. They're not exactly garbage, and they're running pretty hot right now, too. Uh, so maybe I can't read as much into Arsenal losing at Everton as I ordinarily would. All right, let's move uh, uh, back onto the continent of of uh, Europe. Let's get to La Liga really quickly. Uh, we know that Barcelona is going to win. They knocked out Atletico Madrid 2-0 this weekend, um, and they're now 11 points clear of Atleti for first place. Again, we talked about this last week, but really the La Liga table right now is, is just kind of a, a jockeying for third place, second and third. Um, Real sits two points behind Atleti, same amount of games played. Uh, Atleti owns the, the goal differential by roughly six goals. Um, Real's playing a little bit better. They're uh, four and four wins, one loss, no draws in their last five. Atleti's got three wins and two losses. Um, I think if we're trying to handicap this, I don't know. It's going to be pretty close coming down to the wire, but like obviously neither of those teams are in any kind of real jeopardy. Um, Hetafe's got 50 points. They're 10 off that pace for third in the league. So, um, you know, if if there was any question, if Atleti was going to make a race of this or if Real was going to somehow put together a, a miracle run, it's not going to happen. Uh, Barca is going to win this league. They're going to win the league going away. They've got four wins and a draw in their last five. Um, it's It's been a, a, an absolute clinical uh, season by Barca. They've got a goal differential of 50 goals. So I, I don't think this is... Uh, has ever really been much of a race, but it certainly is not going to be going down the last few weeks of the uh, of the, the domestic campaign. Well, the story of that match with Barcelona and Atleti, not only does Barcelona win 2-0, Atleti actually held on really well after Diego Costa, you've heard of him, uh, got sent off in the 28th minute for abusing the match official. Now, I don't even know how to say this, okay? I'm not going to use any of the, I don't know what words Costa used. It doesn't really matter. But all of the match reports and, and all of... The descriptions in the media said that Costa got run from that match because he uh, was derogatory toward the match official's mother. Diego Costa is 30 years old. Now, I know he's been a villain for a very long time, but is there a point at which he can leave the mothers out of it? Really? Could you just come up with something better? Doesn't the referee have a hangnail or a snaggle tooth or a zit over his eye that you can pick on? You got to pick on the guy's mom. He's 30 years old. He has five goals in 19 appearances in the league this year. I would be, I will look forward to the time when no club is willing anymore to put up with Costa's antics and he can go spend all of his money wherever he wants as long as I don't have to see him. He's a funny looking dude. I know I'm not supposed to care. I don't I know nobody's really supposed to care, but like he doesn't have the most lovable face. And uh, not only does he get in the ref's face in the 28th minute, about 30 ish seconds after he, uh, he initially gets a talking to from the official. He walks over and physically manhandles him, grabs him on the arm, does it multiple times. His teammates try to get him away uh, multiple times. And uh, Costa not only grabs the ref's arm, continues to get in his face for, I think, about another solid minute or so. It's just like one of those things where, you know, to your point, it's an immature thing to do. It's reckless. It's stupid. And yeah, it's ultimately a shame for Atleti because, I mean, if he doesn't go and make this selfish play, there's a chance that they can get themselves, you know, into a better position, you know, in the in the general landscape of the table. But 
you know, even if, if it wasn't going to be something where they were going to be able to obviously vault themselves up, I mean, they could have finished with uh, 65 points on the night or on the day, and Barca would have been at 70. I mean, a five-point race with what seven matches to play—that's not totally undoable. But as it stands, 11 points and having now lost head-to-head, and one of your best players, if not your best player, decided to go and make the game all about himself 27 minutes, 28 minutes into the game. It's just a bad look. And Not uh, just that. Not just that. You, as Costa, when you get yourself sent off in the 20th minute, you now leave all the rest of your teammates out there down a man for the next 60-plus minutes against Barcelona and Messi, right? And they got to run themselves ragged on your account, and it's not your problem. You just... Hey, you're in, you're in the showers. You're getting in your clothes and you're ready to go get a meal. Um, and now Atletico has, you know, another match in this weekend and, and matches coming up. Look, there's an accumulated toll in the season. All right. Playing world-class, high-level international football wears people out. And this is not fair what Costa did, uh, not only to his club, but to the players he is supposed to be relying on week to week, match to match. He beat those guys up for no good reason. And actually, they did a hell of a job without him. They were in position to secure a draw until the 85th minute when Suarez scored. And then not surprisingly, Messi scored a minute later because I'm sure Atletico was like, well, we did what we could. Yep. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I don't know. There's uh, there's not much else to say, right? I mean, Barca's going to win the league. It's a shame. It's a shame because, like, you know, things pan out a different way. And then all of a sudden it, it... kind of you could you could start to build the case that maybe there's a tight race knowing that Real's out and that Letty's out that you know Barca's going to have to focus on both the league and the Champions League and maybe somebody catches a knock you know maybe Messi pulls a hamstring and then all of a sudden it feels like La Liga could be a little bit in doubt right and instead everything that's what, like the, that, the air comes out of the balloon that's what Atletico gets for relying on an unreliable person yep it's not like Costa was a mystery it's not like people don't know that he's borderline sociopath, at least when he's inside the lines. I don't know what he's like off the field. Maybe he's delightful. Doubt it. But I've seen enough conduct of him during matches uh, and, you know, after the whistle to know that uh, I would not want to spend time. He's not welcome in my home the way he behaves on a soccer pitch. So, look, um, that's what they get. They, they took their chances. They cast their lot in with this guy, and he buried them. And it's unfortunate, uh, but it does at least uh, draw some clarity in terms of you know, finally, who's going to win the league? We know who's going to win the league. And if you want to follow the the race in La Liga for second, third, and fourth, be my guest. It's not my thing. Have at it. Um, you want to talk about something that, that is a disappointment other than a runaway like uh, like what we're seeing in La Liga. Let's talk about a, the real letdown of the weekend. And that, of course, came from the Bundesliga in Der Klassiker, where you had Bayern München and, and Borussia Dortmund at the Allianz Arena, we talked about it last week. We talked about the fact that, you know, Bayern is is so notorious for allowing another team to get into the race. And then with a little bit of the season left, you start to see vets like Arjen Robin and Frank Ribery begin to carry the club. And all of a sudden, you know, not only does Bayern Munich put themselves in position to, you know, be in, in strong consideration for winning the league, but they end up putting their foot on the throat and, and practically break the, the neck of, of their opponent and and this was a bummer because I think Fox this year has done a terrible job in their Bundesliga coverage. Um, it, it felt like a lot of times this season, matches that, that traditionally would have gone to FS2 weren't being shown there. It felt like there were weekends where there were no FS1 games available, where, where you could only get it on FS2. And this was one moment where, correct me if I'm wrong, 
Der Klassiker was on Fox. Like it was on broadcast Fox. And if you were looking to try to make a pitch to a fan base that they should care about this league, I mean, this should have been the game, right? Uh, it's the biggest match in all of German soccer. And I don't know what the ratings look like yet. I don't think we have access to those numbers yet. But not only was it not a close contest, it was an absolute drubbing. It was a match where Bayern Munich looked like the Bayern Munich of like three years ago. Robin, Ribery, like the, the team looked good. And Dortmund had no answers whatsoever. I mean, you're talking about a match where um, Bayern went up 4-0 pretty, pretty quickly, all things considered. 43rd minute when Gnabry scored, they went up 4-0. And it's just, it's just bonkers. Like, Dortmund has had such a good year, and you finally have the chance to really get yourself in position to, to put some space between yourself and Bayern, and you can't do it. You know, you let them off the hook, and now you're going to lose the league. Because I don't think there's anybody right now who thinks that a Bayern Munich squad that's going to be primarily and, and entirely focused on winning the league is going to now drop this. I just don't see it. And it's it's such a disappointment, especially, you know, you say to somebody, hey, let's watch this one game that's on regular Fox. It has all this build up. Let's get ready for it. And then ultimately the game happens and and there's little to no theatrics. It's it's just an absolute clinic that Bayern put on to uh, the previous now, I guess. Uh, top of the table team. Well, I would certainly never ride for Fox Sports, but there's not much they can do when Hummel scores in the tenth minute and Lewandowski scores in the seventeenth, and it's two nil, and the Allianz is rocking, and Dortmund looks scared. There's not a lot you can do with that from a broadcast perspective, other than look at the clock and say, "Oh man, we got another hour and a half to fill. What's going to happen here?" Yep. And you get five nil. That's exactly what you figured you're going to get when they go up two nil after seventeen minutes. Yep. And it's it's a shame, like I said, but you know it is what it is. We, uh, I, I made the observation before we came on the air. I would bet that it's more likely now that Leipzig will make up the eight-point deficit to Dortmund and finish second than that Dortmund will catch and pass Bayern again. I think it's it, this sort of loss that Dortmund sustained could be the sort of thing that has reverberations and casts doubt in them in future weeks. We will yet see. Um, look, eight points is a ton. Dortmund should hold on to their place in the league. But uh, it kind of bears watching at least for the next couple of weeks. You're right. Uh, do you want to introduce people to the new rule we have at Crossing Broad FC? Yeah, I think this is a good choice that I made as the show's producer. It's not something, it's not a card I play very often. Um, and, you know, I don't like to big time people. You know me, I'm a man of the people. Uh, but I have instituted what I call a 20 point rule here at Crossing Broad FC, which is this if the team leading any league has a 20 point lead or more, we're not going to talk about league on, that league on this show. Uh, right now, Juventus leads Napoli by 20 points. So uh, if you want to talk about Serie A, uh, you, that's not going to happen here today. Uh, there's no interest there. You'll hear about Juventus, but just not in the context of Serie A. Uh, likewise, uh, PSG's lead in Ligue 1 is also 20 points on the nose. Uh, if, uh, so therefore, we're not going to talk about Ligue 1. If either of those clubs drop points in the coming week, we will check on them in, on, right, we'll check in on them maybe, if I feel like it. Uh, but for now, just know 20 points, you got a 20-point lead, lead in the league, that's it. We're not coming back to you. Well, then let me ask you this. If we're going to do that, do we then replace them temporarily with another league? It's actually a very good point. I I, I think we, we should. I think we should. We've so, had some Eredivisie I was gonna shouts say, in the past. I was going to say, we have Eredivisie here. Uh, Ajax is sitting at the top of the table, uh, tied on points with Eindhoven. So maybe uh, for next week, we will prepare a little bit of Dutch, uh, a little Dutch review for the people. I'm open to that. 
Um, I'm also, certainly willing to use my high-speed connection to find another league to talk about since we don't have anything to talk about with Liga or Serie A. Also, the J1 League right now, very early in their season, only six matches played. Uh, we have San, San Fresi, San Frecchi, uh, ahead of Tokyo. So uh, that's going to take some research. Please, but please enjoy. I can that, make Jeff. it happen. Yeah. So FC Tokyo tied on points. All right. So maybe next week we'll have to. Here's what we'll do. We'll open it up to the uh, to the listeners of the show. You let us know what leagues we should replace uh, Serie A and League Un with until uh, those uh, those races are less than twenty points between first and second place. I think that's fair. I'm in on it. All right, so let's let's get to the to the real thing here. I know we might have buried the lead. I know we initially led off with it, but we got domestic the, the domestic leagues out of the way. So let's talk about the Champions League. That's what everybody's here for. Um, I, I think maybe one of the the most I don't know. It's not a surprising result. It's probably the way that we drew it up. Liverpool beats Porto two nil. It, it wasn't a close match. It wasn't something where you look at the stats and you say, like, this was a really even game. Liverpool dominated play. Um, I think Jurgen Klopp's got to feel good about his team's chance to go through. And probably more than anything, I mean, it, does anybody really think the Porto is going to put up three in the next match and shut out Liverpool in the process? I no, you wouldn't it. think so. Uh, Liverpool had 65% possession. They outshot them 15-8, to eight, uh, although shots on target were even at three. Um, the only surprise for me is that after Keita and Firmino score and Liverpool's up 2-0 after 26 minutes, at Anfield, you think that's going to be 4-0 or 5-0 or 5-1. But it ended 2-0. Uh, Porto dug in. Uh, Liverpool was a little bit wasteful. And so this is the most lopsided of the ties right now, and it's only two goals. I agree with you. I don't think Porto has it in them to shut out Liverpool and score three times. Uh, or even to make a 2-0 at home and then force it to extra time, which I think they would take right now if you offered it to them. I don't see that happening. I think Liverpool will score at least once, and that'll end it. But look, if Porto scores first back in Portugal, right? Here again, Liverpool, a little edgy, a little nervy. Uh, history in recent seasons, not always that great uh, when times get tight. Um, and of course, they're going to have some bad memories from last year's Champions League final. So... They need, Liverpool definitely need, at least to have a scoreless first half uh, in the second leg of this tie, or better yet, to get an early goal and give Porto really no hope and nothing to play for. I agree with you totally. Um, I, I did like the Cato goal, especially. Um, just watching the way that, that Mane went down the left flank, managed to to fit it into Firmino, who did exactly what he needed to do, got it onto Cato. Like they, it was a, a nice-looking goal. Um I, I just don't see any way that Porto is able to get themselves back into this one. Um, Liverpool had the luck of the draw. They got the worst opponent. Life rolls on for them. And, you know, if nothing else, this is like maybe the one good thing that's going to continue to help Liverpool in their race, at, you know, for the, the EPL lead. It's they know that they would really have to blow it. Um, they're not going to have to put nearly as much thought or preparation, you would think, into what is going to happen going forward with Porto, quite like City is going to have to do with Tottenham. We'll get to that one in a second. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, kill uh, kill any vibe that we have going by getting totally into the Tottenham game because I think there's a lot to break down there. Let's um. Well, one one other thing I want to add is Liverpool continues to ride terrific luck with injuries or the lack thereof. I'm not here to wish ill on anybody, but every time I look up, Mane is healthy, Salah is healthy, Firmino is healthy, uh, James Milner is healthy. The keeper is healthy. 
Um, you can't just assume that. <laughs> these clubs that play all these matches and in all these competitions, there's nagging injuries that come, uh, and we're going to talk about that with Tottenham as well. But City have had their share of knocks and uh, problems um, for whatever reason, and I don't know what they're doing, but Liverpool have managed so far to stay really, really healthy. Now, maybe that's some karmic payback from what happened with Salah last year in the Champions League final and how his World Cup was ruined. Um, and he's starting to figure things out again. He was on a bit of a scoring drought, but he's finding finding the net again now. But that's health is a skill at this level. If you can keep your stars on the pitch, you have an advantage over a lot of teams just by virtue of the fact that they're sitting people they don't want to sit, and you've got your stars. Avail- availability is probably the number one skill that you need or attribute that you need as a player. It's the most important thing. If you're not available, you can't help your team. It's that simple. Since you uh, talk so much about injuries, are then, you going to do a Joel Embiid impersonation now? No, or? why? No, 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 no. It's still too. It's still too soon, Phil. Too fresh. Yeah. All right. Fair yeah. enough. We're recording this on Friday night, and word, of course, came out that Joel Embiid is is going to uh, miss game one. I think it's definitive now, isn't it? He's or, doubtful, doubtful, but I think doubtful. Oh, uh, you know, as I think uh, I think I'm going to take the court for game one, and um, if my knee feels good, then I'll, I'll play. You know, I just have to trust the process. Uh, the All-Star game was fun. And, um, yeah. That's it. Thanks, thanks, Joel. Thanks I had for, to set Joel that up for, for you. For being here. That was great. Um, since you talked about injuries, fine. Let's talk about Tottenham because, of course, the story is them beating City in the first leg, exactly like I predicted in a low-scoring game. But let's not, Wait a minute. Let's no, not no, no, let no, no, it no. get lost. Hey, that, uh, what? hey what? I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you do that. Let me do what? When I'm wrong, I admit that I'm wrong. It's rare, uh, but I do admit it. We talked about what this tie would look like on aggregate, and I said 5-2 City, and I felt a little sheepish being so uh, bold about it. But look, I love City, and on top of that, they hadn't lost in any competition since late January. So there was no way I could project that they would not only not win this match, but not score. Your aggregate prediction for this tie was eight three. It's going to still City happen on aggregate. It's still well, I mean, eight goals is a lot. Um, City have done it. They've they've scored nine once this season. Now, granted, it was against a League Two side. I believe it was in a League Cup uh, tie or maybe an FA Cup tie. But the point is, it was not against uh, one of the top five clubs uh, in their league and also one of the quarter finalists of the Champions League. I don't think they're going to get eight at the Etihad. The problem for City is they probably need three. And it's a very open question right now as to whether they can score three times against Spurs at the Etihad. Well, and here's the thing now, because coming out of this now, we've learned that not only does Deli Ali have a broken hand, which I think he can play through to some extent. Um, he's he's certainly going to be slowed down a, a bit. He's going to be limited in how physical he can get in the box. I think he'll still be able to play. Harry Kane is screwed. Like Harry Kane's season is probably over. Um, he's got a significant lateral ligament issue in his ankle. And if you start to look at what exactly that means in the uh, in the greater context of Harry Kane's career, think about this. Back in September of 2012, he picked up a, a metatarsal fracture, kept him out from the end of September until mid-November. The next year, 2013, he had a back injury that took out roughly a month and a half from November to December of 2013. Three years later, he, get, he picks up an ankle injury. He's out 49 days in 2016. The next, uh, yeah, the next season, he picks up another ankle injury that takes him out for 
for uh, 24 days. Then he gets a hammy injury in October of 2017. That's followed by a knee injury only a week after he returned from the hamstring injury. And um, in March of 2018, he picked up the third ankle injury of his career. Took It cost him nearly three weeks. And here he is again with a torn ankle ligament injury. And I don't know, like not only did he have, uh, he tore an ankle ligament back in January that cost him 40 days. And now he's got this one that's going to knock him out. I mean, I know that we've said in the past and we've joked that like when Harry Kane ends up becoming a Real Madrid player, I'm going to love him. But this is the problem with a guy like Harry Kane. And this is ultimately the reason that I said Tottenham is that team that gets you close and never actually gets you what you want. It's not that you can always rely on a player to get injured. And it's not that you can always rely on a team to have, you know, fate seem to cast them down. But there's no doubt that Harry Kane is not a reliable player in terms of being able to stay healthy. And that is the thing that is ultimately going to crush Tottenham's chances. I mean, sure, did they earn that 1-0 win over City? Yes, they did. Do I think that they have much of a chance now that their top scorer, you know, their their best threat from up front is down, and now that Deli Ali has a broken hand? I'm not so sure. No, I, I really don't think that this is going to go the way that they want it to go. It's a shame for them because they really did earn this victory over City. And you hate to see a, a team season pretty much end on one injury, kind of like you mentioned earlier, Salah did uh, in last year's Champions League final against Real Madrid. It sucks, and you ultimately want to see these teams have their, their squads at full health, but it's a disappointment, but I, I don't know. It's not like it's surprising. The guy's got a lengthy injury history. There seems to be a little bit of Gareth Bale 2.0 with Harry Kane at this point with all of these injuries. and Gareth Bale, who also played for? Tottenham Hotspur. Boom. That was my whole point. I know. I'm just whose story is this? I just wanted to bring it back around for the people. <laughs> I appreciate that. Do you know how old how old Harry Kane is? Feels like he's been around for a while. That's my point. He's going to be 26 in July. No, he's not. Yes, he is. 26. July 28, 1993. He's 25. Good God. He'll be 26 this summer. So, yes, he's been around a long time, and we've seen a lot of Harry Kane. And we've seen a lot of Harry Kane getting injured. Um, I will say that he is a very old 25 at this point, given the history of injury that you have described. Now, uh, Ian Dark, who I love on uh, on Twitter, uh, noted the same concern you had, which is, you know, is this just something with Kane's ankles where he won't be able to play at a high level for all the matches that are needed uh, at the big clubs because his body's not not built to take the abuse? Well, I would just go far as to say that if you watched how Kane hurt himself in this match against City, it was a clumsy, dumb forward challenge, forwards challenge. He should not have done what he did. He should never have been involved in that challenge. And yeah, his ankle went the wrong way. But you might be at the point with um, Harry Kane, if you're Spurs, where, watch what I do here, where the Washington Nationals were with Bryce Harper two or three years ago, when they told him to stop running in defenses, and they told him to stop diving for ground, uh, for fly balls, and they told him to stop diving headfirst into bases, stealing bases. Like, it's awesome that you are a hustle player, and it's awesome that you want to succeed. But as you pointed out earlier, availability is the most important factor. And there is no question in anyone's mind, City, Tottenham, or elsewhere, that if Mauricio Pochettino had a choice not just because he hurt himself on that play, but because the potential for getting hurt on that play was there, that he would have told Kane to just let that ball go. Like, we're okay. Um, Kane's going to probably have to get to a point 
and here again, I'm going to cite to another player you love, Ronaldo. You don't see Ronaldo doing stupid stuff like that, getting himself hurt that way. Not anymore. That's not, that's not, well, that's what I'm about to say, not anymore. And that's not to say that Ronaldo is soft, because he's not. That's not to say that Ronaldo is not capable of doing those things. He is, but he's smart enough to know that, especially at that stage of his career, he's not doing his club any good by putting his body at risk that way. And Kane is going to have to change his game if he wants to be elite of the elite and to play at the highest level. I agree. It's it was a stupid challenge. It's a stupid closeout move out to the touchline. I get why he did it, but it's a stupid play. And ultimately, it wasn't. Good. It's not like it's a game changing play. It's not like he's trying to save the save a, a ball off the the goal line, right? And it's he's, not like his teammates are going to look at him sideways if he pulls out of that challenge or pulls up and doesn't go into that challenge in the first place. Nope. Nobody's going to say, "Why did you let us down that way?" They're going to be like, "Well, we get it." But now you they're going to look at him like, "Why did you let us down?" Why well, did you for do sure. That? Because yep. he's in he's in the stands for the rest of the season. I mean, here, like as you mentioned earlier, Spurs have two problems right now. They have to withstand what's going to be an onslaught at the Etihad to survive to the semifinals of the of the Champions League. And if they survive the semifinals, who do you need? You need Kane. On top of that, they're still fighting for the Champions League lives for next season. Their ticket isn't punched in the Premier League yet. Uh, this is a big loss for them. Now you've got some pundits who I think are too clever by half saying that at least for the next match in the Champions League, Spurs might be better off without Kane because their whole goal is going to be to keep that 1-0 lead, keep City off the score sheet, maybe try to play a 1-1, something like that. And as long as Kane isn't playing, they're not going to be quite as freewheeling, quite as willing to to run up the field and, and try to score. I don't buy that. Like, you always want your stars in these matches because it's as likely that Kane could go out and score a brace against City at the Etihad as it would be that without him, they can hold City scoreless. No, you're right. Um, ultimately, you're you're right. You want to have your best team out there. I mean, and it's not... I, the way that I look at this now is, if you're Tottenham, like, is the idea here really just going to be to sit back and to hope that City doesn't score? Like, you're going to bunker? Like, I, I don't see that working, right? Like, City's got enough firepower up front. They've got enough dynamic firepower you watched Raheem Sterling, I think it was 16 minutes into the game, just cut from the, the left side of the 18 all the way across and, and pretty much slice through the defense at will. He's going to get wherever he wants to go. Kun Aguero, same thing. Now, here's the problem. It was, what, 12 minutes into the game that Aguero picks up a penalty, goes to VAR, and he can't convert from the spot. And and it like the, the sad thing, I guess, for City was, if he's able to convert it, you know that Tottenham's going to go into a shell. And you know that Tottenham's going to roll over and die because that's what Tottenham does. But in this situation, you know, Tottenham was given a an injection of lifeblood and, and they really felt like they had the chance to go up on City and, and probably to continue that momentum forward through the rest of the game. And ultimately, yeah, they, they rode that wave and they won the game. But you look at this, the second leg of this tie, and I, I just don't see a way. I, I don't see a way at all for Tottenham to, to continue. Like, I, I don't see them being able to hang on. I would guess that at some point, maybe Deli Ali, if he ends up playing, maybe he makes a risky, you know, risky call at some point, leads to a turnover, counterattack goes the other way, and you watch Aguero put one in the back of the net. And then all of a sudden, if it's like 35 minutes in, City knows that they've got Liverpool, or that they've got Tottenham exactly where they want them. I, I just don't see this being much. Like, I think it'll be exciting. It'll be interesting. But ultimately, I mean, if if I were a betting man, all of my money would go on City. I wouldn't give a second thought to putting even a cent down on Tottenham. 
It's just the fact that the away goal rule starts to come in. Unless City holds Tottenham off the board, if Tottenham scores once, now City have to score three times to go through. Uh, if they score twice, they got to go four times, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah. Because those away goals carry so much weight. And, and that's why the Aguero miss is such a problem. Because if you score early at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, and you have an away goal in your back pocket 12 minutes into the tie, uh, I'll say this. I don't know that Spurs would have rolled over and died, but they would have been a lot more cautious because they would have known at that point that if they give up two away goals, they're probably cooked. And so you might have seen this scoreline go 1-1 or 1-0 to City. Uh, instead, it was nil-nil forever. And, and while you don't like to give Spurs much credit, and I can understand why, because they didn't, they weren't dominant in this match by any means, uh, but they did get it done, and here's why. Professional, old professional players who Guardiola loves to rely on in, in these situations let him down and did unprofessional things. Aguero did, was not ready for or, or did not strike that penalty uh, correctly. Uh, he hit it way too straight, uh, hard but way too straight. It was not a good penalty take. And, you know, you're relying like on Marco him to put that away. Very much so. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Um, but then the goal in the match, which Youngman's son scored, and of course I talked about son in our last show and how much I like him, and of course it came back to bite me because he who scores. But he only scores because they set, after Kane went down, by the way, give Spurs credit for the fact that after Kane went down, it was still nil-nil, and they got the goal after Kane went out of the match. So son gets this pass flipped to him, in uh, the city box and it's a dangerous spot but the, the pass looks like it's going out because Sun kind of fluffs it and Fabian Delph is that's his assignment right now is to follow Sun the ball goes to the line it looks like it's maybe going out Delph stops playing yep. Sun does not Yep. Sun retrieves the ball spins, turns, whirls left foot shot bounces in goal Delph is still protesting that the ball was out and it should be a goal kick and Spurs are celebrating the goal scored uh, look, I don't know what to say about this. It's not Guardiola's fault that Benjamin Mendy, who was an enormously expensive acquisition and who was opposed to seal up that position, hasn't been right for a year and a half. And it's not his fault that Alexander Sinchenko, who's actually turned into a pretty useful player this season, was not available either. But knowing that Fabian Delph, was, who, by the way, is not a defensive player, he's a midfielder by trade, Knowing that you were going to have to stick him in the 11 in a Champions League match and hope for him not to get torn apart by Tottenham's front line, I don't know how you sit Kevin De Bruyne for most of the match, how you sit Leroy Sané for most of the match the way he did. He didn't have Bernardo Silva available either. So, you know, for as uh, wonderful as City look on paper and as devastating as they can be when they're playing soft competition... He did not, Guardiola did not set the dogs out after Tottenham. He played very conservatively. He played as veteran players, and his veteran players let him down. And I hope, as a City supporter, that Guardiola realizes that there is no more time to play cautiously or smart or to hope that the veteran players do veteran things. He needs to put his young, fast, strong, skilled players out there and try to hang five on Tottenham. That's his only way out of this. All right, so let's move on to uh, one of the other matches. Do you want to stick with – should we knock out the rest of the England games? Do you want to go uh, United and Barca? Well, sure. I mean, let's Barcelona scores. Barca. Not, not a very exciting match. I say Barcelona scores, but it was actually Luke Shaw who put it in his own net, which is tough for him because Shaw was one of the most marginalized players when Mourinho was still running things. 
And since Mourinho's gone, Shaw has had quite a resurgence. He's uh, relied upon. He's playing a lot. Uh, the manager obviously trusts him. Uh, but it's his own goal that puts Barca in position with the away goal rule to basically go back to Spain and disembowel United, which is most likely what's going to happen. Nobody's confusing this Barcelona version with their great teams in the past, but as long as they have Messi, they're always going to be a favorite, and that's what happened here. Um, all that being said, this is not a tragedy scoreline for United, right? Um, it's, on, it's only one goal. Uh, it's not unheard of that they could score twice at Barcelona. The problem is I'm not sure they can score twice and also keep Barcelona from scoring themselves. And that is the bigger issue. That is the bigger issue. Because so, when, when, when you look at it, Barca putting up three, four goals at home in league play is not by any stretch surprising, right? And even against competition like United and the way that Ole's gotten these guys to play, you know, I think there's a, a conceivable path to Barca's, you know, still putting up three. Um, but even in a conservative game, even if United goes out and plays the game of their lives, does anybody really truly believe that they're going to put up two and shut out Barca? Like, I, I don't see it. No, but I think it was Liverpool that went to Bayern, right? And yeah. needed to get a result and got it. There's a now, big, Liverpool's th- a better player. Yeah, yeah there's, a better there's, club. There's a, there's a very big difference there. Liverpool, first of all, on, on their own, are a better club, right? Agreed. And Bayern is an older team. And Bayern was also, you know, relying on old players to come out and play like they were 24 again. And it wasn't going to happen. The only this, thing I'll say this is, is different. Is, I mean, I get that Messi's Messi's not the same player that he was. I get that Luis Suarez is not the same player that he was. I get that this Barca team is not that elite team that we saw, you know, even four or five years ago. But like the the likelihood of of United going in and and trying to pull Liverpool here, like it's just, I I don't know. As long as you have De Gea, you're not out of it. At, at one nil down on aggregate, even though it was an away goal. With De Gea, you're not out of it. He could do one of these things where Barcelona dominates play, uh, but he keeps everything out, and United scores once, and then it's extra time, and then who knows. So that's that's be the reason that I would turn that match on and at least watch a half an hour to see if United can keep Barcelona from popping one in early and taking all the air out of the balloon. That's why I would turn that match on. And ultimately, though, like what's the what's the most concerning part? If you look at the stats from this game, you knew that Barcelona was going to look to control possession, right? It wasn't even close. 67 to 33 in terms of uh, percentage of possession. You look at the amount of passes that were completed. United puts up under 400 passes. They're doubled up by Barcelona. The, it, like, the scoreline was much closer than the game well, was. United outshot them. They did. That's swell. That's something, I guess. It's something if the ball goes in, right? But... They outshot Barca, but they had no shots on target. So I don't know. If, if you're shooting haphazardly, is that really that good? I don't know. The, the counter-argument is that but for an early own goal, they get the nil-nil that they would have happily taken before the match started. Um, so they probably, meaning United, did everything to, that they could do to do the job other than give up that one goal unnecessarily. Uh, if this had been a, a nil-nil, a scoreless draw... We would be praising Solskjaer for being a genius and giving an outgunned, outmanned team at least a reasonable chance to yeah. go through. Less so now. Um, but again, I am not going to – like I won't watch Liverpool-Porto. That's not going to happen. But if You're I have the opportunity have to, to turn the show on – You're not going to be allowed well, to, uh, to hit record. That's fine. Um, fine. Then, then I can do what I always do and just bluff. 
Uh, and I'll tell you that I watched it, but I didn't. Um, United Barcelona, if I have a chance to turn that on, or actually Barcelona United since Spain, um, if I can turn that on and watch it for half an hour, 45 minutes, I'll watch it as long as United doesn't give another goal. And, um, you know, as long as you have De Gea, you got a chance. I'm looking at this because you brought up De Gea before. I think it's just kind of interesting to point out the fact that um, the news broke today that it looks like Ander Herrera is going to be leaving United uh, at the end of the season for PSG. Looks like a contract might be around 200,000 um, 200, euros per week. Um, and it looks like there, there was an issue between Herrera and De Gea. At least that's what was being reported by Express uh, out of the UK. So I don't know. That, that might be something to kind of keep an eye on at some point. I know that there's always the rumor that David De Gea is going to, you know, be pursued by Real Madrid, although with Diva Courtois and, and, and so I don't know why you would ever want to do that. But anyway, um, just one little one little bit of uh, a black cloud hanging over United at this point. Uh, Herrera is going to be 30 in August. Yeah, that's it's a loss, but it's not a devastating loss. So let's get back to let's get to the, the final um, match of the Champions League draw. And ultimately, I keep saying ultimately a lot tonight, but like. This was the game that I was looking the most forward to, and that's Ajax and Juventus. Ajax we were excited about because we said that in the last round, what they were able to do by going out and uh, and taking a two Real Madrid in a way that, that no one really thought they could, now, I think we said last week, if Ajax goes out and continues to play balls to the wall and play as a team that has nothing to lose, they're going to make it interesting against Juve, who we know that structurally as a team are going to go out and play a, a solid defensive-minded game, are going to be able to, you know, break you down on a counter, and ultimately, and, and geez, I need, somebody zap me every time I say ultimately, that Juventus was going to be a team that, pending what they decided to do with Cristiano Ronaldo coming back from injury, there was a chance that they were going to be able to get the one goal they need. And if you can get that one goal on the road, since we've talked about it so much, having that away goal is huge, especially knowing that you're going to have that second leg at home. And, I mean, pretty much everything we said is what happened. Ajax goes out, puts on a very exciting performance. Um, if you went back and, and watched even abbreviated highlights of this one, I would bet you that 80% of the highlights resided with Ajax. They had great opportunities on net. They had shots that, you know, were six inches wide of the posts. I mean, this game could have very easily gone 3-1 Ajax, 4-1 Ajax, um, I think you could make a case that there was a Douglas Costa um, play that he went left foot to far post and pinged the outside of the the right post. But, you know, all right. So maybe in a in a decent scenario, it ends up being 3-2 Ajax. This was a game that Juventus decided to roll the dice on playing Cristiano Ronaldo and him coming back from the, an, an injury that, I mean, let's be honest, Ronaldo's not a young guy. When you have a muscle injury that can be tweaked and could end up, you know, costing him not only this match, but also the second leg, and God forbid that happens, there's not even a guarantee you go through. They rolled the dice on it, and it worked. And he looked good. He looked very, very good. And once again, this is why Juventus went out and got Ronaldo. Yeah, I know. 45th minute he scores. <laughs> and you're right. Uh, Ajax was flying all over the place because they're young and they're fast and they're really talented. They're fun. They, they are fun. Uh, they're like... They're like what Man City used to be before they poured all the money in, but they still had a lot of fast and quick scoring talents when they were a little younger. Now City is really just a bunch of mercenary old older players, except for the, the few guys that Guardiola doesn't trust. Um, Ajax is a lot of fun to watch. 19 shots, 6 on target, as you said. 
um, you know, some of their shots missed the target by six inches. That's almost more threatening than a, than a shot on target that hits the keeper in the stomach. Um, and while you want to give Ronaldo all the credit in the world, and you have to because he was a doubt to play in this match, not only did he play, he scored, and he scored an away goal, and it puts Juventus in a wonderful position going forward. But uh, shout out to Ajax for this, okay? So Ronaldo scores in the 45th minute, right? If you're Ajax, you've, even if you haven't totally dominated play, you're home and you feel like you're in this thing. And in the 45th minute, right before it's about to be scoreless at, at the half, Ronaldo scores. And now everybody's got to go back in, in the changing room and look at the manager and say, what, what the hell just happened? I mean, we're playing great and we're losing. And what did Ajax do? They come out and they score in the 46th minute. Right in the 46th minute. Yep. Like, yeah, okay. The bully punched me in the nose. I'm going to punch the bully right back. And that's what they did. I, I love this. Uh, I, I love the fact that this tie is as we predicted. Um, it's Juventus trying to dictate terms and Ajax not being willing to just let them do what they want to do. I mean, Juventus could not have planned or thought that they would cede 61% possession to Ajax, but that's exactly what they did. And Juventus better be careful. Um, if they think that just because they're Juventus and just because they have Ronaldo and just because they're home in the second leg, that that's going to do the work for them. They could be uh, in for a rare, very rude surprise. You know what Juventus is going to have to do in the second leg? It's it's going to be a very steady dose of Douglas Costa. Because once Costa was put into this match, it felt like that left flank became his uh, his domain, right? Like it, it felt like he was going to run rampant on this Ajax team. And and Ajax knew that, that Juve was going to play a, a, a relatively conservative approach they were gonna they, they're, they're kind of a brooding team right they they don't come with a lot of pace through the uh through the center of the pitch Douglas Costa comes out onto la- that left flank and all of a sudden he's rip-roaring he's cause he's like creating mayhem he's causing havoc he's giving Ajax a dose of what Ajax had been giving the entire match to uh to Juve I mean if if I'm Allegri that's what I'm doing I'm putting Costa in. I might even give Costa the start. I might see if I can get away with not having to play Ronaldo because like, think of it like this. If Ajax goes out and scores the first goal, I would rather have Ronaldo available for the second half and extra time if he's needed than to play him and maybe have him only play 60 minutes because you don't want this whole thing. Like Knowing the way that, that Juve's gone out of this tournament in recent years, you don't want to have the question of what if. You're not going to have that question of what if, if Ronaldo comes in as a second half sub. You will have it if you had a lead or if you're sitting on that 1-1 aggregate score with the away goal and all of a sudden with six minutes left in the game, Ajax scores and puts themselves through. So, I, I think, Or heaven forbid, Ajax scores in the 58th minute and then Ronaldo in the 65th minute gives the sideline the I got to come off sign. Yeah. And now he's walking off with uh, Ajax in the lead. Uh, that's not what you want because at that point, obviously, Juve's got to score twice, and you know the guy they rely on is not going to finish. Would this surprise you if Juve ends up winning this tie, goes on, gets to the championship, and in that final that Ronaldo essentially has to carry them to, and, the, and you know, quite frankly, it's the reason they went out and got him. Can you see the scenario of, of this being like when Ronaldo carried Portugal to the Euro final and then got himself hurt, what was it, six minutes into that match? And Portugal had to play the rest of the match without him, and they ended up, you know, winning it. And people kind of, you know, poo-pooed that it was anything to do with Ronaldo because he went out so early, kind of casting aside the fact that he was the reason they got to that final. I can almost see that happening, where once again, you know, 
A muscle injury is a tough thing, especially for a guy of his age. He keeps his body in great shape, right? Like he's his his body is a temple. You see that, and the guy takes his shirt off, and he's got muscles in places that most of us don't have places. But quite frankly, you get to this point in the season, everybody's carrying a knock, and we've said how many times that Ronaldo had lost a step or half a step. That's why he went to Serie A. You know, I think they've done a decent enough job of managing his minutes, load management, if you will. Um, but well, the he's, only thing he's, he's one tweak away it. from this going very poorly for him. He is, but he doesn't have to play another league match if he doesn't want to. Yeah, you're right. And that's a serious consideration. I mean, if I'm Juventus, I don't know what Ronaldo's uh, contract dictates. I don't know whether he has incentives that he can hit within his contract for scoring goals in the league. I don't know, and I don't care. If I'm Juventus, I basically go to him and say, uh, whatever agreements we had when you came here and whatever goals you might have personally, you're going to have to put those aside for the next 15 minutes, well, uh, figurative, figuratively, because we need you. you got to wrap you in gauze, and you're playing these Champions League matches as long as you can. Well, to that point, um, Massimiliano, or Massi, Massimiliano Allegri said that Ronaldo is not going to play on Saturday um, in what would be a Scudetto clinching or an eighth consecutive Scudetto clinching um game so regardless i don't need him no they 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 don't don't they don't need him against ball but like just it's nice to know i guess in a sense that they're not going to risk him they're not going to risk his health so it doesn't matter if uh if you know juve ends up clinching the league without him on saturday it it, it is what it is so we'll we'll see so it's so rare that international managers do intelligent things that we think are intelligent things it's true it's true we don't give them much we don't want to give them too much of a uh too much credit um, I don't know if, if you find this interesting or not, but I'm I'm looking at 538's projections of how this is going to finish up, and uh, so like let's let's look at making the semifinals. Juve, uh, no, let's start at the bottom. Porto's got a four percent chance to get through. Man United, ten percent chance to get through. Ajax, thirty nine percent. Tottenham and Juve are uh, the next two. Tottenham's got a 51% chance to make the semis. Juve, 61%. Guess who? Uh, guess who's almost tied with Tottenham? Who would that be? City. City at 49%. Ugh. So they're actually giving Tottenham the slight edge over City, which makes sense based on you know where that fixture's at, but a 51 to 49% split to make the semis. Barca, 90%. Liverpool, 96%. Here's where things get interesting, though. So although Tottenham and City are only separated by 2% on making the semifinals, 538 projects that if City were to go through, they have a 38% chance of making the final, whereas Tottenham would only have a 24% chance. That's a pretty big discrepancy. Well, they updated that at April on April 12th at 444 in the afternoon after the Kane news came out, I presume. Uh, I don't know whether those numbers change or not, but I would change them if I were 538. I'd say if they are going to be without their leading striker... Uh, that's a major problem. Yes. Yes, indeed it is. Um, just so the people know, Barca has the second best odds of making the final altogether at 47%, Liverpool 49%. Winning the whole thing, there are only three teams that have a double-digit percentage chance, and that's where I think this is interesting. City has a 21% chance of winning the whole thing, Barca 27%, Liverpool 29 I almost think it's disrespectful to Juventus because I get that while... They need to, you know, at least hold hold steady at that one one, um, the one one aggregate score plus the the away goal. I can't imagine that 
Juventus has the same percentage chance virtually of getting the or of winning the whole thing as Tottenham does. It just seems silly to me. Um, well, I think this is a reflection of the fact that Juventus still has to deal with Ajax. They may not get out of this round. I get that. Um, and so that, I think, is weighing heavily on those numbers. And I also think, uh, candidly, while I have said I'm not picking against Juventus as long as they're still alive in the tournament because I love what they're doing, at least in terms of net spend and the talent on these rosters and certainly the pedigree with Barcelona— it's very hard to pick Juventus over Barcelona. And if it were Juventus and Barcelona in the final, I'd pick Juventus because I would stand by my take, but I wouldn't feel great about it. Um, and Liverpool were in the Champions League final last year. So while their history in this tournament lately is not that great, last season it was terrific. And that's why they're the favorites, and they're, they're favorites on merit. They're going to beat Porto. And look, once you get in the semifinal, now it's a 1-4. and four, you know, Taking aside any odds and who you think is stronger... There's four teams left, and one of them's going to win. Um, so Liverpool, having essentially punched a ticket to the semifinal, there's a reason why they are 96% to make the semifinal, as we just discussed, and 49% to make the final, because whoever they draw, they will probably be favored. Do you want to hear something really funny? So I'm looking at a, a little bit more 538 stuff. So based on 538's projections going into the first leg, they had Ajax as, a, as the favorite to win. Uh, they had a 44% win percentage on Ajax, 34% on Juve, a 23% on the draw. They had Barca over United, uh, 56% to 24% um, in terms of win probability. They had City nearly or more than doubling up the percentage chance of beating Tottenham. So they had City winning at 52%, and then Tottenham and a draw at 24% each. That's uh, That's a little bit crazy to me. Looking at it now, going into the second leg, Juve is, uh, has a 52% chance of winning, 26% to Ajax, uh, victory 22% on draw. Barcelona, <laughs> Barcelona's is actually more lopsided than Liverpool's is. Barcelona has a 72% chance of winning. United only has a 12% chance. There's a 16% chance at a draw. Uh, City's got a 66% chance of beating Tottenham. Tottenham only has a 13% chance of winning. And uh, a draw is listed at 20%. Porto Liverpool, oddly enough, Liverpool 48%, and then uh, the draw and Porto winning are both at 26%. But again, Spurs can lose 2-1 and go through. Yes. I mean, that's that's the problem with this whole away goal, away goal situation, which I don't suggest they take away because it does at least lead to some certainty and keep us out of extra time more often than not, um, and penalties for Christ's sake. But yeah, what the, all of this that you described, especially in the context of City and Tottenham, underscores what an unexpected result this was on City's behalf. And oh, by the way, just how aggressively terrible the failure of Delft to play through the whistle ends up being. At this level and at this high stage with these teams, the margins get really, really thin and really, really small. And Aguero misses a penalty, Delft concedes a goal he never should concede, and now City or coin flip instead of being a de, you know decided favorite when again they hadn't lost since January late January and now they're going home where they are almost unbeatable but the problem is they can win the match and still not go through and that's why these percentages look the way they do let me propose to you something that I had seen somewhere um, I personally despise it but imagine if instead of the away goal we started going to shot based expected goals <laughs> so what that would have meant in the first leg would have been um, you know, Ajax and Juve obviously drew at 1-1. Uh, 
but via shot base expected goals, we would have been looking at IX 1.2 and Juve 0.7. The Barca United game, um, Barca would have won on shot based expected goals 0.8 to 0.5. City and uh, Tottenham, this one's a little bit, I guess, more interesting. Um, City 1.4 to 0.8. Uh, and Liverpool 2.3 to Porto's 1.1. Do you like that better than away goals? I have thoughts. Um, you're talking about a sport that until very, very recently refused to even consider using video instant replay to help officials who were clearly overmatched. Now what you're telling me is not only are we going to have VAR, but we're going to have one scoreboard that keeps the actual goals that were scored during the match. But then we're also going to have this side scoreboard that kind of looks like a stock exchange ticker where the expected goals go up and down through the course of the match. And you could be winning on the goal tally, but losing on the expected goal tally. And so you change your play to try to fix that. And no, I, I love it. It seems like fun. Maybe we should try it with FIFA on PlayStation and see how it turns out before we actually do it with real athletes. Obviously, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I just I love in envisioning, visualizing this sep- separate scoreboard that keeps the expected goal value moving the entire time. And you know, your team could be up two nil, and yet your fans are screaming at you that the expected goals are actually going against you, and you got to fix it. I, I think it's hilarious. Uh, it, it, look, it may happen in our lifetimes. At this point, I can't rule anything out. Uh, last thing before we. Uh before we head out, because I know we have to do our union minute. It's uh, it's part of what we do here. Um, obviously, the the soccer world was kind of taken um, by storm by Benfica's 19-year-old stud, um, and that, of course, is uh, João Felix, who has a 120 million euro buyout clause. And apparently, uh, we're looking at something where um, the top teams in Europe are, are allegedly interested in buying him. Might I suggest that João Felix might be a good player to target if you're Real Madrid, who missed out on a 19-year-old stud last year in Kelly Mbappe. I think Felix would be a uh, a good pickup. But, you know, why, why stop there? Why not get both? There you go, Florentino Perez. Yeah. Just a little little tidbit there for you, fella. Get greedy, although I might argue that for if you said $120 million, uh, I would rather have three $40 million players than one $120 million, unless you can get Mbappe. And I know this kid is playing great right now. He had a hat trick in Europa League this week. And look, he may end up being the next big thing, but he could also end up being Neymar. Oh, look what I did there. All right. Got quiet. Got quiet in the studio. (laughs) It really did. It really did. All right. uh, The Union Minute. It's time. Uh, I hear a rumor that you you were actually in in attendance at Talon Energy Stadium. That's not a rumor, friend. I was with the Sons of Ben. Whoa. uh, with, With my people. And my uh, my young son. Any new cheers? Um, not that I can repeat. Uh, I can tell you that my son only really loves going to union matches if he can be in the Sons of Ben section because he is allowed to swear with impunity and he is allowed to double bird the officials and double bird the visiting fans up in the corner by where the Sons of Ben are. And he gets to stand the entire time. And, of course, he, he gets the biggest soda he can get. It gets all hopped up on caffeine and sugar, and it's just, for a 12-year-old kid, it is a stone-dead dream. When you can, with no uh, possibility of punishment or any kind of repercussion, say, hey, ref, suck on my balls. As a 12-year-old, it doesn't get much better. Uh, and that's just the women, by the way. <laughs>
Phil. I finally landed a punchline in this show. There you go. I'm, I'm proud of you. In all seriousness, though, it was a horrible first half in that match. Um, FC Dallas did almost nothing the entire match, and yet they were up one nothing at the break because of a free kick that went in. After a, a pretty darn awful uh, forwards challenge by your man, Fabian, um, and the point I made before we came on was that Andre Blake and I had about the same level of effort and chance to save the free kick that went in. I stood and watched it go in, and so did Blake. Uh, so they're down one nil at the half, and and I remember thinking, yeah, if this is one nil at the 68th minute, uh, I'll be on the road and home, uh, probably halfway home by the time the final whistle sounds. But you know, you're there with your kid; he doesn't want to leave. And the Union played better in the second half. Um, they controlled play more, uh, and they got more shots, and they controlled the midfield better. And FC Dallas was more than happy to sit back. And unbelievably, the Union scored twice in the last six minutes, including one in extra time. That's a game they the, never win. That's what that's I mean. They've in, never in the won. last five, six years, it's a goal they never a uh, game they never win. That always goes against not them. To, Right, and especially not to win for the third time in a row, especially not to place them pretty safely in the playoff places, although obviously it's very, very, very early. But, you know, think about it, right? So they get a penalty very late in the second half uh, because, you know, one of the players gets tackled on the line as, as the keeper's trying to deal with a ball that he punched about 40 feet in the air, and it's the ball stayed in the air forever. Uh, and as the keeper's trying to deal with it as it falls, one of the attackers is about to head it in and gets absolutely just poleaxed to the ground. And so they blow the whistle, and here we go with the penalty. And the, the Fabian penalty was worse than the Aguero penalty that I talked about earlier. It was too straight. It wasn't especially hard. But this is the MLS, right? Or this is MLS, I should say. And there's a big fat rebound, and Corey Burke converts it. And now it's 1-1. And the FC Dallas players are incensed because uh, they thought there had been fouls in the run-up to the play that the penalty never should have happened. And now it's on, right? Now the, the building is alive. The Sons of Ben are screaming. And the Union players very clearly drew some belief and some energy from that goal. And the goal that won the match, did you see it? Do you want to describe it? It was a beautiful chip. Beautiful chip from El Cino. Uh, to Ali Badoy, who cut back. It was almost uh, a little bit reminiscent of Son's goal in the Champions it was. League. It was a, Very a beautiful much so. cutback, um, playing with the left foot, far post. It was just, it was a, it was a gorgeous shot, and it's, it's a nice finish. It's a, it's a solid finish by Bedoya, but that chip from Ilsenia was absolutely marvelous. It's one of those things where the people who were wondering why, at the end of last season, you know, it, it felt like Ilsenia was probably on his way out. And then coming into the season, people were saying, well, why is he still here? Like, why would you bring him back? You know what you're getting from El Cino. My argument was, yes, you know what you're getting from him. If he can come in and be a 25, 30-minute sub for you At and, the end. and be a guy who, who just breaks down defenders when their legs are tired, he's going to be able to put together a few of those magnificent passes that gets his guys in position to, to finish. And um, Bedoya did a great job of, of really capping that one off, but... The creativity, the finesse, the skill that that pass requires, and and the level of creativity and vision that it takes to even con, you know come up and conceptualize that pass, and the guts it takes to actually execute it in that moment. I mean, that's that's magnificent from Ilsenio. It's one of the quick, one of the better goals I think we've seen, or one of the better assists uh, directly to a goal that we've seen in recent years from the Union. Quick shout out to Bedoya too, who was still on at the end, had played the entire match. 
and had the strength and the air in his sails to bring that ball down, make a move, turn back toward the 18, swivel, hit it with his left foot with enough power as he's kind of going sideways or maybe even a little bit away from goal and still get enough power on it to bounce it past the keeper for the match winner. That is, as you said, a goal they don't score, a win they don't get. And while we have thrown a lot of shade at Jim Curtin on this show, and we're not the only ones, look, Curtin brought Burke on for a com who was unfortunately kind of ineffective in this match. Uh, and he brought Il Signo on. And they did exactly what he could have hoped that uh, they would do for him. And they got him a win. And so, look, I, I don't know that they can continue this. But I we talked about their upcoming schedule the last show. There's nobody on that slate that scares the hell out of me. Now, I don't think they can go into California and beat one of the L.A. teams necessarily. They're not there yet. But it's there's reason to go to Talon and see what they're up to right now because they're talented and they believe in themselves. And it's early in the season. You know, these momentum tends to build on itself when football clubs have belief in what they're doing and get results. So you got to ride this streak while you can. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap. Uh, big thank you to everybody again for listening to Crossing Broad FC. Go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossing Broadcast with myself and Kevin Kincaid, where we break down all of the Philadelphia sports. It's the only Philadelphia 7 for 7 podcast, perhaps 8 for 8 or 9 for 9. Uh, that remains to be seen. Crossed up, if you're a Phillies fan, go check that out with Bob Wankel and Anthony Sanfilippo. Of course, Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, with myself and uh, Anthony Sanfilippo. Last week, we interviewed uh, Flyers president Paul Holmgren, and that video is uh, now live on the Crossing Broad YouTube channel, so go check that out as well. Um, and uh, there's, of course, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, the sister soccer program of Crossing Broad FC with Kevin Kincaid. Make sure you go check that out. He had Adam Kahn on from uh, the Philadelphia Union themselves, and he uh, he talked to Kahn about you know tactics and such, and, and broke down these last three games. So make sure you give that a a listen. Of course, our friend Kevin there he's uh, he's getting ready to be a dad, and as we've been joking, his life is about to be over because that's what happens when you have a kid. Um, what else? Oh, there's one other show. There's Broadlines. Broadlines, the uh, sports betting podcast and uh, and studio show from Crossing Broad. Of course, that's Kyle, who uh, came out of a cave and now is uh, is back into the pod scene. So uh, he and Jason Zernicki of, uh, God, I think it's Bet New Jersey. I don't want to get this wrong. I'm pretty sure it's Bet New Jersey. Um, they talked a lot about uh, on their, their most recent episode. That's also on YouTube, on the Crossing Broad uh, YouTube channel. They talked about the, the line movement on the Sixers and Nets and uh, some playoff odds and such. So make sure you go check that out, especially if you're a Sixers fan or if you're a sports betting fan or you want to get to know a little bit more about sports betting. And, of course, don't forget to go check out Phil's uh, EPL picks column. Uh, is, when's that going out? Is that going out? Coming to you coming to you Saturday night into Sunday morning. All right, Saturday night into Sunday morning. Um, just remember, as, as anything else uh, with Phil's picks, pick the exact opposite, right? And bet with your head not over it. There you go. So, uh, for Phil, who you can find on Twitter, at Phil Keidel, that's K-E-I-D-E-L. I'm Russ, at Joy on Broad. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week to recap the second leg of the UEFA Champions League quarterfinals. <laughs>